This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight we begin with one of the premier drama programs of the golden age of radio. It was subtitled Radio's Outstanding Theater of Thrills, Suspense. The program focused on suspense thriller type scripts. These rarely, uh, there rarely was a famous actor who did not appear in the series at one time. People who have graced the airwaves in this show, Jimmy Stewart, Cary Grant, Humphrey Bogart, Lucille Baltwell, and so many others. The series had a generous budget from its network, CBS. Formula plot devices were followed for all but a handful of episodes. The protagonist was usually a normal person, suddenly dropped into a threatening or bizarre situation. Situations were withheld until the last possible second, and evildoers were usually punished in the end. Tonight's episode is entitled Fire Burn and Cauldron Bubble. The story of a famous actress who's murdered with a long blade through the eye while watching Macbeth. Ooh, scary stuff. The Man in Black, here again to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. Our distinguished star this evening is the stage and screen favorite, Mr. Paul Lucas, whose performance is in The Lady Vanishes, and in the stage production, The Watch on the Rhine, you will recall with pleasure. Tonight's tale of suspense is a story by John Dixon Carr, Fire, Burn, and Cauldron Bubble. If you've been with us on these Tuesday nights, you will know that suspense is compounded of mystery and suspicion and dangerous adventure. In this series are tales calculated to intrigue you, to stir your nerves, to offer you a precarious situation and then withhold the solution until the last possible moment. And so with Fire Burn and Cauldron Bubble and the performance of Paul Lucas and the other members of our company, we again hope to keep you in... Drury Lane Theatre presents the distinguished American actor Myron Willard in Shakespeare's Macbeth with magic effects especially designed by Ludwig von Arnheim.
historic Drury Lane Theatre, a relic of old London. On this site, in the cramped and crooked lanes of Aldwych, there has been a playhouse since Nell Gwynne sold oranges in the pit. The present theatre, though modernised, is heavy and darkened with time. By daylight, it is a dinginess of red plush seats, haunted by old ghosts. But at night, when the lights bloom for some new production, when the murmur of a crowd fills the carpeted aisles and the orchestra begins to tune up, it is kindled with that strange magic before the rise of the curtain. Put it this way, sir. E12 and 13. Program. Talk Thank you. No, madam, this is Rowie. Your seat's a G4. And backstage, where nerves crawl and there is a tendency to scream, the three witches of the play are huddled around the peephole in the curtain, looking out into the audience. They are hideous-looking creatures, these witches, in gray rags like cobwebs. But as they speak... I am scared. Don't let it bother you, darling. You can't even see the audience when the floats are on. There's nothing to worry about. Nothing except the size of the take at the box office. You won't even have to worry about that tonight. Look out there. You two are shaking as much as I am. Now, don't pretend. All right, all right. Everybody's jumpy on first nights. What I can't understand is why they want to use young girls as witches. And then make us talk in cracked voices as though we were 80. Double, double, toil and trouble. Fire, burn, and cauldron bubble. <laughs> Katie, darling, it's only one of the ghost effects. You've been hearing it for weeks at rehearsals. I will say this for Marin Willard, as an actor and a manager, too. He's the first one who's ever had a real professional magician to do the ghost effects for this ham show. Oh, are they Celia? Look there. Where? Out in the audience in the second upper box on the left-hand side. Oh. Don't you see the woman who's just coming in? Yes, I can see her. Not a bad-looking bit of good for her age. What about her? But that's Marcia Blair. Marcia Blair? You don't mean you've never heard of her. I can't say I have either if it comes to that. Move over, Ivy. Give us a squint. Marcia Blair used to be Mr. Willard's leading lady. She was a very great actress 15 years ago. Oh, 15 years ago. She's had a terribly romantic history. Well, she's made lots of money and retired from the stage. Then she married some horrible no good. And did you see that tall gray-haired man standing beside her? Well, he doesn't look much like a no good. That's not the man I mean, Celia. That's Howard White, her second husband. Oh. They say he loved her for years and followed her about and practically worshipped her. But she was married to this no-good and wouldn't get a divorce. Then the no-good died, I suppose. So Marcia Blair and her faithful Howard got married. Yes. I remember reading in the paper that they've been married one year tonight. I... I expect they're very happy. Well, I'd be happy, too, if I had a mink coat and a string of pearls like that. Well, you've got to admit she's beautiful. All right, Katie, if you say so. I used to go and see her act when I was a little girl. She... she was kind of an idol. I wonder what they're saying to each other up in that box now. I wonder what they're saying. Marcia, dear, I wish you wouldn't be so uneasy. Nothing can happen to you here. You're uneasy yourself, Howard. Yes, I suppose I am a little. Howard... I know I shouldn't be talking like this on our first anniversary. But that's what worries me. What if Barry isn't dead? What if he isn't dead? Oh, listen to me, darling. 
Your late husband, heaven condemn his soul, died in New York more than a year ago. We have proof of that. Well, then who wrote those letters to me? I don't know, dear. Somebody playing a joke on you. Joke? If you marry him, Marsha, you won't be alive a year from then. Joke. But you're married to me, my dear, and you are alive. Shall I quote you something from another play, Howard? Well? The Ides of March are come. I, Caesar, but not gone. And it's still two hours. Two hours to the time we were actually married. Oh, look here, dear. This is carrying an obsession too far. It would be just like Barry to wait until the last moment, just to make it worse. You knew him. Yes, I knew him. He was a genius. I suppose so. As a mere businessman, I've never quite understood this theatrical temperament, huh? except yours, of course. Barry was a greater actor than Myron Willard will ever be. Barry could play anything, from a cockney to King Lear. His skill at makeup wasn't merely good. It was terrifying. Oh, Howard, I am frightened. Suppose he's managed to get close to us tonight, and, and yet we can't see him. Well, the music started, Marcia. I, I shall have to go. Must you go, Howard? Really? If I break this appointment with Ferndale, dear, the deal will be called off. And since I haven't got too much backing anyway, I... All right, dear. I understand. Go ahead. Unless you wanted to come with me. And Miss Myron's opening tonight? Oh, I couldn't do that. I tell you, you'll be perfectly safe here, dear. Of course, Howard. I know that. You're in full view of 3,000 people. Nobody could attack you. The only door to this box is guarded. Outside that door will be Miss Fenton, who's devoted to you. And the chauffeur who's even more devoted to you. What could happen, dear? Nothing, of course. And I'd prefer to be alone anyway. Yes, I rather guess oh, that. Oh, please, dear. It's just that I can't endure anybody being with me when I'm watching a great play. But that doesn't include you, darling. Then, if you'll accept these, madam, in honor of our first anniversary... Oh, Howard! Well, they're lovely. Of course I'll accept them. And here's a program. Got everything else you need? Yes. Yes, I think so. I'll just open the door to the passage to make sure our watchdogs are on guard. Yes, they're out there, all right. Good night, Marcia. See you in an hour or two. Good night, Howard. And good luck. Miss Fenton, Bradley. Yes, Mr. White. Yes, sir, anything wrong? Miss Fenton, you've been my wife's companion secretary for five or six years. Yes, Mr. White, and I've loved every minute of it. And you, Bradley... You haven't been my chauffeur for quite so long, but they tell me you're an ex-wrestler. That's right, sir. Champion of the Shoreditch Athletic Club. And in me prime, though I says it shouldn't, as good a man as ever climbed through the ropes. Now, you know your instructions badly. You trust me, sir. Nobody gets into this here box tonight unless it's over my dead body. Nothing must happen, do you understand? Nothing. Please, you're as white as paper. As for you, Miss Fenton, I'm afraid it's a little awkward. I know I ought to ask you to go in and join, Marcia, but... Oh, you needn't apologize, Mr. White. I know she doesn't want company. She'll be leaning forward with her elbows on the box rail, just as she always does. She isn't merely watching a play. She's acting, Lady Macbeth. Every line, every gesture. Oh, and I don't mean to disturb her. You, you won't leave this door, either of you? You trust me, sir. If... Oh, no. Well, anything wrong, Bradley? It is a very rummy-looking cove coming along the passage, sir. Wearing a big black cloak with a red lining. Well, that man, Bradley, that's only Herr Arnheim. He's a professional magician and escape artist. I was just wondering. Excuse me. Don't worry, Mr. White. We'll look after her. Von Arnheim. I say, Von Arnheim. Thou canst not say I did it. Never shake the gory lux at me. I beg your pardon. 
And I beg yours, my friend. I was merely quoting a line from the play. You are not leaving the theater. Surely not walking out on Macbeth. I'm afraid I have got to. Oh, that's a pity, my friend. You will miss some of my best effects, to say nothing of Shakespeare's. <laughs> when Banquo's ghost appears at the table. I don't want to hear any more about ghosts, thanks. Banquo's or anybody else's. I imagine you mean your wife's late husband. You've heard about it then? Yes, your wife has told me a good deal. She seems to think that in my profession I might have some charm over demons or spell against ghosts. You know, run on him in a muddled kind of way. That's what I've been wondering myself. No, unfortunately, no. I am all too human. But your problem interests me. And I confess it worries me. Worries you? What about me? As I understand it, her first husband was a half-mad American actor who later went completely mad and died in New York. His, uh... Oh, what's the word I want? Our obsession? Uh, that's it, obsession. His obsession was Marcia Blair's eyes. Yes, always her eyes. They seemed to hypnotize him. It is not new, you know. You'll find the same motive, the eyes of a beautiful woman, all through the works of Edgar Allan Poe. Then, as I understand it, after this man's death, she began to receive a series of letters. Foul letters. Apparently written by him and threatening her with some rather horrible form of death if she married you. I tell you, Barry Lake is dead. He can't get up out of his coffin. Oh, getting out of coffins, my friend, is not so difficult. I have done it myself. Oh, please stop joking, Van Arnheim. You don't happen to be dead. True. There is that small difference. Um, is your wife here in the theater tonight? Yes. She wouldn't have come here except that it's Marin Willard's first night. We haven't seen Marin, either of us, in years. She's back there in box D. Mm, so I hear it. Uh, I was hoping uh, that you might invite me to share the box. Uh, look here, old man. I, I don't want to seem inhospitable, but... Uh, she doesn't want company? Well, that's about it. Well, then walk back a little distance with me, this way. So that you can see the stage from the back of the dress circle. Now, the orchestra has stopped and they'll ring up in a moment. There. Look at it. Look at what? The stage, man. The lights have gone out. All except the dim yellow footlights shining at the curtain. The last cough, the last murmur, the last rustle of program dies away in one vast breathing hush. The curtain goes up. Let go of my arm, Von Arnheim. I've got to leave. Now, what are the stage directions? A desert place. Thunder and lightning. Enter three witches. I beg your pardon, Von Arnheim. Do you no, speak? No, it was nothing. Myron Willard triumphed at Drury Lane as Macbeth. But tonight, as the clock ticks on, there is another drama in the dimly lighted corridor 
outside box D. There sits Miss Louise Fenton, Marcia Blair's companion secretary. Beside her, burly and broken-nosed, is Big Jim Bradley, the ex-wrestler. And when more than half an hour has passed... There's the applause, Jim. That must be the end of the first act. Yes, I hear it. Nothing's happened. And take my word for it, nothing's going to happen. Oh, she's such a likable person, Jim. And I think one of our greatest Shakespearean actresses. Well, I don't much care for this Shakespeare business, miss. You give me a good movie with gangsters in it. It's my style. Oh, you don't understand, Jim. I've seen her as Juliet, as Rosalind, as Portia. In our own drawing room without any props. I've heard her as Lady Macbeth, too. <laughs> you should see her eyes. Her uh, eyes, miss? Yes, you should see her eyes when she delivers that speech. The raven himself is horse that croaks the fatal entrance. Hey, miss, look there. What is it? That foreign-looking cove in the black cape coming along the passage now. Easy. I beg your pardon. You are Miss Louise Fenton, aren't you? Uh, yes, my name is Fenton. What is it? I am looking for Arnheim, a friend of Mr. White's. And I must see Marcia Blair at once. No, you don't, Governor. You're not going in there. Why not? Because nobody goes in there. Not if it was the king himself. That's orders. Now, listen to me, both of you. When the lights went on, I happened to be looking at Box D from the other side of the theater. And I think yes. there is something wrong. But there can't be anything wrong. Jim Bradley and I have been sitting here the whole time. Except, of course... Except when? Well, except when I went in there for a few seconds. You went in there, Miss Fenton? May I ask when that was? Well, it was after Mr. White had gone and just before the play started. I went in to ask if she wanted anything. She said she didn't, so I came out again. And Bradley's been with me all the time, except when he went to get a drink of water up the corridor. That's as true as gospel, Captain. One moment and listen to me. Marcia Blair is leaning forward across the railing of the box. Oh, but that's nothing, Herr von Arnheim. That's the way she always is. Does she always fall forward with her arms held straight out and her head down on her arms? You better be careful, miss. It's a trick. Trick? Why not open the door and see for yourselves? Would that do any harm? No, I... I suppose it wouldn't, but... Oh, there must be some mistake. We haven't heard a sound from in there. There couldn't be anything wrong. You open the door, Miss Fenton. I'm going to hold tight to this gentleman just in case. <laughs> Quiet, please. Quiet. What is it, Miss? Oh. Walk in there with me, both of you. Please go carefully, as though nothing were wrong. You don't want to attract attention. Now. Oh, help on, on. There's... Blood all over her face. Yes. And don't begin screaming again, Miss Fenton, when I tell you she's dead. Bradley? Uh, yes, sir? Pick Miss Blair's body up and carry her out into the corridor. In another minute, we'll have the whole theater wanting to know what's wrong. All right, sir. You win. But what about the people in the other boxes? Won't they see? They've gone down to the bar to get a drink. They won't see anything. Hurry. Uh, uh, she ain't no lightweight, the poor lady ain't. Steady, does it? Hold the door open. That's got it. Now, close the door. Shall I put her down on the floor, Captain? Yes, better do that. I never took those threats seriously. That's what I blame myself for. And if something did happen, well, I, I thought he'd attack her. I never thought he'd hide away across the theater and fire a shot. And you were quite right, Miss Fenton. Marcia Blair was not shot. She... She wasn't shot. No. Take a look at the wound. Oh, I can't look at it. She was stabbed. 
Stabbed through the right eye oh. with a narrow, sharp blade, which entered her brain and killed her instantly. Not a pretty death, but a quick one. You seem to know a lot about this, Governor. Perhaps I do, my friend, and perhaps I can guess a lot more. You mean somebody stood out there and threw a knife at her? Like a ready music hall turn? No, I don't mean that either. There's no knife in the wound and none in the box. The murderer took it away. Took it away? Exactly. Herr von Arnheim, please wait. You're not saying someone climbed up from outside, 20 or 30 feet from the floor, and stabbed poor Marcia in full sight of 3,000 people? That, Miss Fenton, is what the evidence seems to indicate. But it's impossible. Yet it happened. There is Marcia Blair's body. What's that? Oh, it's the warning bell for the second act. People will be coming back here anyway, any minute. What are we going to do? <laughs> effects by Ludwig van Arnheim. Very few persons knew that there is a dead woman in the theater. But at the end of the play, it is a different story. The crowd files out past a cordon of police. The lights are extinguished. The great theater is dark and mumbling with echoes. See the stage now? Only the battens or overhead lights pour down a pale blaze on two men who stand grotesquely against the background of Dunsinane Castle. One of these men is Howard White, very near collapse. The other is Myron Willard himself, still wearing his makeup still wearing helmet and chain mail. And when Willard speaks... Howard! Howard White! Confounded man, can't you hear what I'm saying? Oh, excuse me, madam. I think this is almost finished. Oh, not that I'm blaming you, old man. <laughs> Thank you, madam. It's traditional, you know, that Macbeth's an unlucky play. But up to the very end, I thought I'd never done better. Eleven curtain calls. No, twelve. Uh, how did you like my tomorrow and tomorrow speech? Hmm? I'm sorry, madam. I'm afraid I didn't hear it. Oh, I... Yes, poor old Marcia. She'd have hated to die like that. Marcia was proud of her eyes. Always nearsighted as an owl, but too vain to wear glasses. Uh, there's Von Arnheim looking at us from under the castle archway. Von Arnheim! Did you call me, my friend? You're rather difficult to recognize under all that Macbeth makeup. Yes, I was just thinking the same thing. Uh, never mind that. Uh, where are the police now? At the moment, Mr. Willard, the police are in your dressing room. They are using it for questioning. Uh, 
No reception tonight, of course. No, but I thought you might be interested in two items of information that police have just discovered. Well, go on. We had a fairly full house tonight, I believe. Fairly full. Every seat was reserved. Reserved, yes, but not occupied. I don't follow you. One box on the ground floor, box E, to be exact, was empty. Reserved and paid for, but empty. And box E, oddly enough, was just underneath the one occupied by Marcia Blair. Well, all the same, I still don't see quite what you're... Now, our next item of information comes from an usher. An outside eye seat in the stores, very close to that empty box, was occupied by a very curious stranger who arrived late in the dark and slipped out again by a nearby exit a few minutes afterwards. Just one moment, Van Arnheim. Are you saying this stranger climbed up and attacked Marcia in full view of the audience? No, my friend. The murderer did not approach from that direction. Then he must have reached Marcia through the door, guarded by Bradley and Miss Fenton? No, not from that direction either. Confounded, man. It must have been one way or the other. Not necessarily. Tell me how. Don't you think I've got enough troubles already without this nightmare on top of it? Herr von Arnheim. Herr von Arnheim. You must take it easy, Miss Fenton. You must not excite yourself. Have the police been... Yes. Look, you've got to help me. They won't believe me. They won't believe the young lady, sir, and that's a fact. I tried to help her all I can, but there's things I can swear to and things I can't. You see, I did go into that box. Oh, just for a couple of seconds, I admit it. But no other person went in or could have got in. So they say, or at least they're hinting that I killed her. But I swear I never touched her. Who was questioning you, Miss Fenton? Inspector Grimes or Sergeant Blake? I'm... Well, I'm not sure the sergeant, I think. Then I shouldn't worry if I were you. Inspector Grimes knows better. He's guessed, in fact, exactly what I have guessed. You seem on rather familiar terms with the police, my friend. I am, Mr. Willard. I am. Anyone who practices escapes from handcuffs, sacks, chests... And stage boxes, perhaps. Stage boxes, if you insist. Excuse me. Isn't that Inspector Grimes in the wings now? Yes, and he's nodding his head. Then I can tell you, I think, what you want to know. Well, if you do happen to know anything, it's your duty to speak up. Or Marcia seems to have had some ridiculous idea that her former husband, Barry Lake, was still alive. Her fears weren't justified, of course, and she wasn't killed by any dead husband. I beg your pardon. Her fears were justified, though not quite in the way she believed. And she was killed by her husband. Then Barry Lake is still alive. No, Barry Lake is dead. You don't mean Marcia was really killed by a ghost. No. I mean she was killed by her devoted second husband, Mr. Howard White. What? You know what hear what they say? That's not true. It's a slanderous statement. I, I'll have you in court for it. I, everybody knows how devoted I was to Marcia. Your devotion, my friend, was devotion to her money. And your business affairs have been shaky for a long time. That's not true and you can't prove it. Marcia Blyer was inclined to be, shall we say, a little close-fisted with money. That's true anyway. It's a lie, a lie. Willing to marry him, but Mr. Howard White knew he'd never touch a penny unless he killed her. He wrote the letters himself. Herr von Arnheim, he can't be guilty. She was alive after he left the box. He wasn't anywhere near her when she died. Perfectly correct, Miss Fenton. He wasn't there and yet he killed her. Exactly. But you and Bradley can supply the clue that will hang him. Uh, me, sir? I don't know nothing. No, I don't either. I think you do, if you'll put your mind to it. Do you remember what Howard White said to her just before he left the box? Uh, yes, he said, Good night, Marcia. See you in an hour or two. And she answered, Good night and good luck. No, I mean just before that. I... Well, there wasn't anything. <laughs> you see? It's a slanderous statement without any proof. It's an insult to my position on the stock exchange. Wait. I do remember something rather queer. Think, Miss Fenton, think. He said to Marcia jokingly, 
If you'll accept these, madam, in honor of our first anniversary. And Marcia said, Howard, they're lovely. Of course I'll accept them. That's right, sir. He did say it. And what do you think he was referring to, Miss Fenton? What was he asking her to accept? Well, I imagined it was flowers, a corsage or something like that. Did you see any flowers in the box or pinned to Marcia Blair's gown? No. I come to think of it, I didn't. Then what did he give her? Uh, don't look at me, sir. Now, here is a woman who is very nearsighted, yet refuses to wear glasses. But she can accept a pair of... Opera glasses. Mr. Lie, you can't prove it. Hold on, sir. Mr. Gold, you better stay here, Governor. Thank you, Bradley, but the place is surrounded with police. But I still don't understand. Now, what happens when you lift opera glasses to your eyes and they are not in focus? You turn the little wheel in the middle to bring them into focus. For Marcia Blair, it was deadly. You mean the, the glasses had... Something? Yes, they were specially constructed glasses, Miss Fenton. They were invented by a French criminal years ago. That little wheel is a little trigger. It releases the spring of a sharp, thin blade which strikes through the eyes into the brain. Oh, don't, please. You can't prove it. Marcia Blair died instantly. The glasses torn from her eye by their own weight dropped over the box rail to the carpeted aisle below. The only witnesses who might have noticed would have been the people in the box just underneath. And that box was empty? By arrangement, yes. Even if anybody did see them fall, Howard White was prepared to remove the evidence instantly. You haven't forgotten the curious stranger. Curious stranger? I mean, the man who slipped in after it was dark, took an aisle seat just under the box, oh. and slipped out again a few minutes later. It's a pack of lies from start to finish. You can't prove a word of it. I beg your pardon, my friend. Didn't you see Inspector Grimes not to me a moment ago? Well, you are going to hang, my friend, for one of the neatest and cruelest crimes in my experience. The police have just found those opera glasses with a neat set of fingerprints in the side pocket of your motor car. And so ends Fireburn and Cauldron Bubble, starring the distinguished actor Paul Lucas. Tonight's tale of Suspense. This is your narrator, Ted Osborne, the man in black, who conveys to you Columbia's invitation to spend this half hour in suspense with us again next Tuesday, same time when Nancy Coleman stars in Fear Paints a Picture. William Spear, the producer, John Dietz, the director, Bernard Herman, the composer-conductor, Robert Salmon, studio technician, and John Dixon Carr, the author, collaborated on tonight's Suspense. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Phil Harris and Alice Fay next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for the lighter side of life as we join Phil Harris and his wife Alice Fay in a program that first aired in 1950. Good health to all from Rexall. It's the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, presented by the makers of Rexall drug products and 10,000 independent Rexall family druggists. Good evening and aloha nui. Tonight, the makers of Rexall drug products and the 10,000 independent family druggists who recommend and sell them salute station KGU Honolulu and welcome you to the NBC network carrying the Harris Faye Show. 
Through the facilities of KGU, we extend greetings to all our friends on the islands, and especially to the firm of Benson Smith, who have been Rexall druggist for the past 40 years. We landlubbers here on the mainland tell you in all sincerity that we're happy you've invited us aboard, and we hope that you'll become regular members of our listening audience. But wait, I'm sure the stars of our show can tell you much better than I just how we all feel. So, here's Alice Fay and Phil Harris. Phil, isn't it wonderful? Now we can be heard in the Hawaiian Islands. You bet it's wonderful, honey. When I think of all those lovely people way out there in the Mediterranean that Phil, are... the Hawaiian Islands are in the Pacific. When I think of all those lovely people way out there in the Pacific listening to our program, I just want to sing. Well, don't. This is no time for corn. All right, Smarty, what can I do? Why, tell our listeners in Hawaii how happy we are to have them with us every Sunday from now on. Okay. Folks, we're just bowled over that you're going to be with us every Sunday from now on. And that we'll do our very best to please them. We'll do our very best to please you. And that we'd love to have their letters and comments. And we'd love to have your letters and compliments. Still. Now, can I sing? What? That's what I like about the South? Think you're smart, don't you? Well, this time I'm going to sing That's What I Like About the South Pacific. Oh, no, you don't. We want Hawaii to keep listening. Aloha to all from Rexall. And now your Rexall family druggist brings you the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show. Written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North, Janine Roos, Anne Whitfield, Walter Sharp and his music, yours truly, Bill Foreman, and starring Alice Faye and Phil Harris. Mr. Scott of Rexall and his wife are going on a motor trip for a few days. However, they have a very valuable French poodle named Madame Bovary, whom they would like to leave in good hands while they're gone. As we look in, we find Mr. Scott on the phone asking Phil if he'll take care of the dog while they're away. What's that, Mr. Scott? Uh... Mr. Scott, we seem to have a bad connection. What did you say? I said, I'm taking Mrs. Scott on a motor trip for a few days, and I'd like to leave Madame Bovary with you while I'm gone. Madame Bovary? Gee, Mr. Scott, I'd like to help you out, but I'm a married man. <laughs> Gee whiz, Alice is a little touchy about having other women around the house. I ain't Harris, gonna... Harris, Harris, Madame Bovary is a dog. Oh, well, in that case, leave it with Remley. He don't care what they look like. <laughs> Give me strength. <laughs> Look, cornball. <laughs> Madame Bovary is a dog. You know, bow wow. Oh, oh. Arf, arf. oh, Scotty, you've been working too hard. <laughs> Harris, listen closely. I'll spell it for you. I want to leave a D O. No, that'll get him more confused than. <laughs> I've got it. Mr. Harris, when your wife is mad at you, where does she put you? In a doghouse. Cut it in half and you've got it. <laughs> That's what I want to leave with you. A dog. Well, why didn't you say so instead of getting me involved in one of them double in tandem routines? Well, <laughs> no nothing about what you're talking about. We'd be glad to take care of her. She's a nice dog. Bring her over. Thanks. I'll be right over with her. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mr. Scott. 
called, Phil? Oh, it's Mr. Scott, honey. He's taking his wife on a motor trip, and he wants to leave his dog with us. Oh, that'll be nice for the children having a dog around. Yeah. Well, if that Scotty's coming over with that dog, I won't be able to finish painting this chair right now. You better put the paint away now. I'll put the paint can away later. You know, Phil, we should have bought the girls a dog for Christmas. Frankie promised them one, but instead he gave them that horrible, uncouth gift. Hold it, Mercedes. <laughs> What's uncouth about a pool table? <laughs> in the house, and I'm going to tell Frankie. So where is he? He's in the den with the kids. Said he was going to help him with their homework. I'll call him. Hey, Remley, come in here a minute, will you? All right, Curly, I'll be right with you. Okay, Phyllis, it's your shot. <laughs> <laughs> Try the sixth ball in the side pocket, and this time don't cheat. <laughs> Keep one foot on the floor. <laughs> now, remember, you each owe me $3 so far. <laughs> Well, that was before I was sure I could beat you. <laughs> okay, now, stop stalling and chalk up. All right. Uncle Frankie, how do I make this shot? Well, that's a cinch. Put a little English on the cue ball, kiss her off the seven, bank it off the corner cushion, you get it right in the side pocket. <laughs> it's an impossible shot. She'll never make it. Well, I'll try. Here goes. <laughs> wise guy. <laughs> well, Phyllis and I won that game. Now it's your turn to pay up. All right. Here's 50 cents in play money. I don't care, Uncle Frankie. When we win, you pay us in play money. But when you win, we have to pay you in real money. How come? Fortunes of war, my child. <laughs> now, if you kids will excuse me, I'll go see what your daddy wants. Curly? Hey, do you want to see me, Curly? I want to see you, Frankie. It's about the pool table. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh -oh, hold it a minute. That must be Mr. and Mrs. Scott. What are the Scotts coming here for? They're going away on a trip, and they're stopping by for a minute. Excuse us, Frankie. Yeah. Well, hello, Harris. Mrs. Harris? Oh, hello, Mr. Scott. Come right on in. Where's Mrs. Scott? Uh, she's at home. I'm picking her up later. Well, here's Madame Bovary. Ah, uh, hiya, Poochie. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh. Oh, she's a cute little thing. Hey, Curly, does the old test tube leave yet? Oh, hi, Scotty. <laughs> oh, it's him. <laughs> Hello, Remley. Good to see you. <laughs> hey, good to see you, too. You're looking fine, Mr. Scott. <laughs> well, Mrs. Scott... You're looking your usual charming self. <laughs> nice to see you again. She's got a cold, eh? Friendly. One more nasty... Oh, no, no, it's just a mistake, Mr. Scott. Frankie can't see too well. He's wearing his nearsighted head today. <laughs> Look, Frankie, this is a dog. It isn't Mrs. Scott. Harris, I hardly think the identification is necessary. <laughs> As for you, Remley, this is the beginning of a new year. So why don't you get it off to a good start by doing away with yourself? <laughs> now, Mrs. Harris, I have to be running along now. Oh, I'll see you to the door, Mr. Scott. All right, so long, Scotty. 
Come on, Frankie. Let's take this dog in and show it to the kids, huh? Oh, uh, by the way, Mrs. Harris, I want to leave this dog whistle with you. Yes. Incidentally, don't think the whistle's broken when you blow it, because you won't hear it, but the dog will. Oh, Mr. Scott, you've been standing too close to Frankie. <laughs> <laughs> I know I sound like him, but this is a supersonic whistle, and it's too high-pitched for the human ear, but a dog can hear it plainly. Oh, by the way, Mrs. Harris, yes. I won't be here for the program Sunday, but I'll try to listen in. I'd hate to miss your song. I'd hate to have you miss it, too. And just to make sure you don't, I'll sing it now. (laughs) Bye-bye, baby. Remember you're my baby when they give you the eye. And just to show that I care, I will write and declare. That I'm on the loose, but I'll stay on the square. I'll be lonely, but even though I'm lonely, there'll be no other guy. So I'll be gone for a while. I know I'll be smiling with my baby by and by. drove off right in the middle of my song. Oh, well, as long as he sends the check every week, who cares? <laughs> I'd better put this dog whistle in a safe place. I wonder if it really works. i got to try it. <laughs> the dog heard it, but I didn't. Mr. Scott was right. It can't be heard by a human being. I'd better put it on the mantle so I'll know where it is. Well, it's a quarter to twelve. I'd better prepare lunch. Hey, Alice, where are those instructions that Mr. Scott gave you? I think this dog... Alice! Ah, well, I'll find them myself. I think she put them up on the mantel. Hey, I never saw this whistle before. Must belong to the kids. I wonder what it sounds like. (laughs) Must be broken. Maybe you have to blow it harder. Who's blowing that darn whistle in here? Well, I'm blowing it, but... You heard it blow? Yeah. 
That's the shrillest sound I ever heard in my life. But Frankie, the whistle's broken. Look, I'll show you. You want to break my eardrums? But I didn't hear nothing. I... Frankie. My ears ain't working. I must be losing my hearing. Nah, that's nothing serious. Some people are nearsighted. You just happen to be near-eared. <laughs> this is no time for jokes. Bill, lunch is ready. Hey. <laughs> oh, honey. I got awful news for you. From now on, when you whisper sweet nothings in my ear, that's what it's going to be. <laughs> Nothing. Bill, what are you talking about? I'm losing my hearing, honey. I've been blowing this whistle and I don't hear a sound. Of course you don't. It's a supersonic whistle. It can't be heard by human beings. Only by dogs. <laughs> oh. Well, thank goodness I'm all right. I didn't hear it, and Remley said he heard... <laughs> Remley. What are you staring at me for? Just because I heard the whistle doesn't mean that I... I... Surely, if only dogs can hear it and I heard it, it must mean that I... Take it easy. Take down, Rack. carrying on so. Al, if I got something amazing to tell you, when I blew this dog whistle, Frankie heard it. Somehow that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Honey, don't you understand? What did you say about the whistle? I said a human being can't hear it. But Frankie heard it. So? <laughs> what do you mean, so? This is awful. If I can hear like a dog, there must be something wrong with me. Maybe you're part Airedale. <laughs> Don't be a funny man, part Airedale. I'll have you know I'm just as human as anybody. I'll be right in, dear. No! Oh, Curly, this is All terrible. right, take it easy, Remley. Take it easy. <laughs> just quiet down a minute now. Take it easy. You're nervous. Hmm. I'll soothe your nerves by singing something appropriate for a man in your condition. Oh. How about trees? <laughs> Think of it, I got just a tune for you, Remley. Now sit back on your haunches, cock your ears, and listen to your master's voice. I recommend to every one of you who continue to do the things you do. Apply the fundamental and let the incidental go by. Stand on the basic. Firm philosophy, do it naturally, like it ought to be. Try the fundamental and let the incidental go back. When old man trouble starts in hounding your doorstep, and he's got his grip around you, brother, that's the time you'd better watch yourself. Consequently, I recommend you take this interview and apply it to everything you do. And you will find your knowledge more than any college could do for you. Cause 
Cause it's only elemental to apply the fundamental And let the incidental go by Command to every one of you who continue to do the things you do, apply the fundamental and let the incidental go by. Stand on a basic firm philosophy, do it naturally, like it ought to be, apply the fundamental and let the incidental go by. When old man trouble starts in hounding your doorstep And he's got his grip around you, brother That's the time you'd better get more hair Consequential, I beg you take this little interview And apply it to everything you do And you will find your knowledge is more than any college could do for you, cause it's only elemental to apply the fundamental and let the incidental go by, by, bye. F-U-N-D, I don't know how to spell it, but let the incidental go by. Now I know what's wrong with my ears, Curly. I always stand too close to you when you sing. <laughs> hey, Curly, do you think maybe there's something in my ear that's causing my strange affliction? Could be. Maybe you got a tick in there. <laughs> hey, hold still, Remley. I'll look in your ear and see. Hold over here. Hmm. Got a dark in there. <laughs> Wait till I light a match. Now, <laughs> uh, let me see now. Hey, don't hold a match so close to my ear. Will, will you? you hold still? I want to study All this. Right. Hey, Mr. Bridge, is anybody... Well, it's about time somebody set fire to Mr. Remley. Joey, <laughs> <laughs> alcohol, and him, he'd make a beautiful blade. <laughs> you keep quiet, Julius. Now, hold still, Frankie. Sure. Hmm. I don't see nothing in your left ear, Remley. Well, come over here and look at his right ear. I see something astounding in here. What do you see? The light shining through from his left ear. <laughs> Julius, you can see the light shining through. <laughs> Julius, you mean. A bat just flew out of me. Julius, one more crack out of you and I'll... Uh, I'll spill this can of paint over you. Keep your shirt on. What are you looking at his 
was here for anyway, Mr. Harris? Well, kid, Mr. Renley has a very strange affliction. You see, he hears like a dog. Hey, this guy's a regular menagerie. <laughs> what do you mean, menagerie? He hears like a dog, eats like a pig, and drinks like a fish. <laughs> Yeah, he's one of a litter of five. <laughs> Let's see, there was Prince, King, Rover, uh... Uh, 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 Mr. Lemon, please don't bark while us humans is talking. That's a, you're getting this paint can right on your head. It's Oh, Remley, look what you got now. You got that red paint all over the dog. How am I going to explain this to Mr. Scott? How his dog got red? Tell him his French poodle joined the Communist Party. <laughs> Lovely kid. Yeah. He's a grand boy. <laughs> He's got all the charm of an old man's knee. <laughs> oh, Remley, now look. Just take a look at that dog. He's covered with red paint. What are we going to do? If Scotty ever sees his dog like this, I'm a cinch to lose my job. Now, we got to get the paint off of her hair. Well, look take at that. it easy, will you? We'll get it off. Oh, sure. We'll all we have it. to do is... You go answer the phone. I'll get all the right, paint off right. of the dog. Let's see. Where does Curly keep his electric razor? <laughs> okay, stop shivering, Pooch. There you are. Hey, you look great, kid. Not a hair on hey, you. Hey, Remley, I got news for you. We're cooked. That was Mr. Scott on the phone. He had to postpone his trip, and he's coming over to get his... <laughs> Remley, where'd you get that plucked chicken? That's Scotty's dog. I shaved all her hair off. Oh, no. Oh, a nude French poodle? Somehow she looks indecent. Throw a rug or a kimono or something over her. I think she looks very attractive. Only to you, Rin Pin Pin. If Scotty sees his dog like this, he's going to raise the roof. Her fancy hairdo is the most important part of a dog. I know that, and when Scotty gets here, she'll have hair. <laughs> Hand me that bottle of glue. <laughs> you mean you're going to paste the hair back on the dog? Oh, Curly, don't get hokey. Besides, there's paint on the old hair. I'm going to paste this on. Looks like poodle hair, but it's much more luxurious. Yeah, it is. What is that? Alice's Persian lamb muff. <laughs> I know what I'm doing every minute. Frank, will you listen to me? You can't do that. It's too late. It's already cut, measured, and ready to fit. Now hold the dog still while I paste it on. Oh, Remley, why do you always get... Well, that's all we got left to do now, and I'll tell you something. We got to hurry, Frankie. Mr. Scott will be here any minute. Now, look, do you remember how her... Fancy hairdo look. Stop worrying, will you? I'll put it on just the way it was. You'd better. <laughs> well, she's all pasted, Curly. How does she look? I don't know, Frankie. 
Didn't she have a tuft of hair on, on top of her head? No. It was under her chin, just the way I got it. <laughs> well, maybe you're right. Hmm? But is it supposed to be shaped like a Van Dyke? <laughs> she looks like an ad for Boss Bear. <laughs> I think she looks swell. Notice how deftly I applied these clumps of fur here and there. Gives her a look of studied carelessness. Well, maybe she looks all right, but wait a minute. Hmm? What's that limp strip of fur hanging down the back of her? Oh, that's her new tail. <laughs> new tail? Mm-hmm. What happened to her old one? Well, while I was working on her, she kept swishing it in my face, so I glued it to her stomach. <laughs> Frankie, this is a sad-looking animal, and I know that Scotty is going to be... Mrs. Harris told me you had my beautiful dog in here. And I... I... What is that horrible monstrosity? That horrible monstrosity is your beautiful dog. What happened to her? She used to have hair on top of her head and all along the top of her shoulders. Now she has it hanging from her chin and under her stomach. Turn her upside down. She'll be as good as new. I should have known better than to leave her here with you two maniacs. Come, Madam Bovary, we're going home. Daddy will pick you up. I can't budge her. Remley, you put too much glue on her stomach and she's stuck to the floor. Pull a little harder, Scotty. Oh, oh you poor dog. But don't worry. We'll get back at those two right now. now. Wait a minute, Scotty. Wait a minute. Take it easy. Don't stick that dog on us. Dog nothing. I'm going to bite you myself. Oh, wait. Ah! I can explain. I didn't mean to. Scotty, stop chewing on my leg. Take off your guard, you coward. Oh, This is Phil Harris, and right now, I'm going to tell you about something that is very close to me. Somewhere is a youngster who needs a pal, a boy who may be fatherless or just an unhappy, unfortunate kid. Whatever the reason, the big brothers of America are ready to help, and you can help, too, if you're a big brother. Beginning next Sunday is National Big Brother Week. Give your own heart a warm feeling by joining up, won't you? Write Big Brothers of America, Philadelphia 3, Pennsylvania. Big Brothers of America, Philadelphia 3, Pennsylvania. Do that. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. This program was produced and directed by Paul Phillips. Included in today's cast were Gail Gordon and Stan Freeberg. Frank Remley was played by Elliot Lewis, and Julius was played by Walter Tetley. And now for Phil and Alice and all the gang, and for the Rexall Drug Company and your Rexall family druggist, this is Bill Foreman saying aloha to all from Rexall. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Richard Diamond, followed by our Miss Brooks. 
Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.